and was so good. His whole family was kind of distraught. At that hey, he's not dead. He's alive in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says there's an earthly body, but there's also a heavenly body. It's a spiritual body, but it's a body nonetheless. So he can see when the Lord, and he went to heaven. That's the only time the Lord stands up from the stone is to welcome in those who are falling asleep in his right? So God is good. So tonight, we're going to look at um, Genesis chapter 31. He can walk good that way. Does he like point? Yeah, he's point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of. He puts it in his mouth and he kind of presses some on like ice cream. I took it. So they got to get reconnected with some of their brothers and aunties, which is good. That is so good. I think her brother is a musician too. So he plays at Turtle Bay a couple of days a week. And I told her, we used to play at Turtle Bay like six months straight. We played at Turtle Bay like wow. three, three times a day in the morning in the uh, brunch. And then we do the nighttime um, disco music, whatever, top 40. That was years ago. But that's when um, you still make money and play music back then. Oh, praise the Lord. If, not, if it wasn't for that, man, we'd probably be broke. Our kids all be malnourished. But praise the Lord. I mean, we wasn't even saved right there. But my friend Todd, we used to pray together and I wasn't saved. But through his witness, I came to know the Lord. Let us uh, bless the Lord and then bless His text and as we go into uh, the study. <laughs> Barukata Adonai, Loten Natura, Loten Nabitadasha, Loten Yeshua. Abba, once again, we uh, come to Shabbat Lord, with an open heart at a time of resting and refreshing, Lord. We ask that your word might wash us, Lord, this evening, that we might be uh, kept clean, Lord, through the week. But if not, Lord, we know you've provided radio stations and podcasts. And Lord, your word. Wash anytime. Anytime we need a cleansing, Lord, we have your word. So we thank you for loving us with your Torah, with your New Testament, your Bithadashah. But most of all, we thank you for Yeshua HaMashiach. Our Savior. Amen. So last week, we looked at Rachel. Rachel said, this is what I, when she first started off in chapter 30, the first thing she said was, give me a baby or give me death. That's what she said. That if she didn't have a child, she would die. But what will happen eventually, giving birth to her second son will actually take away her life. So that was the irony that having a child will actually kill her. Not having a child 
would have kept her around longer. So in verse, in chapter 30, her womb was open. And what people see in those days as a curse for not having a born a child, the curse was removed. So at that time when she cried out, give me a baby, and she was almost blaming Jacob for her uh, lack of uh, having a baby, conceiving, Jacob became super angry. And the, the, the Hebrew word af was the nose. Yeah, the nose. So his nose was flaring and his chest was breathing hard. So she was really angry. So this actually had um, strained their relations. So what uh, Rachel did was she asked her sister Leah for these mandrakes. These mandrakes are called dudaim. The dudaim is an aphrodisiac. Okay, so she wanted an aphrodisiac so that her and Jacob could come together again after they got, she got uh, angry with him. So Leah traded the uh, mandrakes for a night with Jacob. So Leah's whole thing that she wanted was to have a lot of sons that her husband, which was her husband first, so she had primary status as far as a wife. She felt that Rachel stole her husband. So what happened was they traded mandrakes for a night with Jacob. So Jacob was actually used as a pawn in this whole um, childbearing competition. It was a childbearing competition between sisters. And then we saw that Jacob had relations with Leah, Rachel, Zilpah, and Bilhah, the two handmaidens. So what Leah did was copy what Rachel did in giving of a handmaid as a wife. Again, all Leah wanted was to be loved by her husband because she did have that primary wife status. But Jacob never loved her in that way. Sad, yeah? But the good news is the Lord loved her in that way. So in chapter 30, Jacob had gained seven more sons, two more wives, and a daughter. So once he got his family together, he served out his 14 years, Jacob wanted to leave Haran and go back to the land of Canaan. So he wanted to leave, attain his own financial stability and security, and to take a minimal uh, wages. Minimal wage! Was it 15 now? So he wanted to take the lesser of the flocks, the rarer colors of the livestock. So we saw sometimes, even though Jacob didn't want to take much, he was humbled. What did the Lord do? The Lord blessed him. 10, 24. Because of his humility, but also because of his righteous use in his life. We saw that he had made a deal with his uncle. They shook on it, but uncle reneged on it. He reneged on the deal, and then what he did was sneakily took all of the, the lambs that were given to Jacob. He took all of those spotted, speckled, and the, the brown ones. He took them and he hid them, and he gave them to his son, and they hid it. It took a three-day journey, and they hid it. Again, he got deceived by his uncle. So what was he going to start off with? A minimal amount. He had zero livestock now. 
But what he did was he reserved uh, he resorted to an old wives' tale or folklore, where they would teach that if you take these certain branches, you cut them up and you put it in the water, and these um the sap drips into the water. So one, when they see these striped branches, it invigorates them, and then when they drink of the water, it would come out speckled and spotted. So what happened through the six years, everyone that was supposed to be Jacob's color, that's all that was born, all Jacob's color. Now he thought these old wise tale or spiking the water was why he was blessed. But we're gonna find out, it's the God of heaven. So in six years, his uncle's flock became huge. And Jacob became, the text says, Me'od, Me'od. Very, very prosperous. So Genesis 31, Jacob sneaks, we look at Jacob sneaking out of his uncle's land, just like a thief in the night. So verse 1 says, Now Jacob heard the words, of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that our fathers and from what belongs to our father, he has made all his wealth. So what the boys are saying, that my father made this wealth. So they were actually either lied to or they were lying themselves. Either the father was telling them, I need all of this great amount of uh, livestock. But if you look at the beginning part, it says, Jacob heard Shabbat, the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob has taken away our father's wealth. So out of life, even in Genesis, from the previous chapters, even going throughout the New Testament, his modus operandi is intervening on the behalf of his faithful ones by uncovering these diabolical schemes just by someone hearing just by hearing what somebody, he overhears somebody talking, the conspirators. So before Jacob came into the land of Haran, Uncle Laban did not have any sons. But since he's been in the land about 20 years, he had produced at least two sons. Maybe in the first couple of years, so the sons could be anywhere between 15 to 20 years old at this point. And now they realize that all of his livestock were to be their inheritance. The father's wealth would have been theirs. So Uncle Jacob is taking all of these animals. So here are the sons disseminating his lies because they themselves were lied to by their father. So they are affected that their inheritance is being squandered and taken away by but verse 2 says Jacob saw the attitude of Laban and behold he was not friendly toward him as formerly like father like son the sons have a bad attitude and it says the father has a bad attitude so Laban went from being cordial and accommodating to his new son-in-law to sly cunning and even deceiving by making a deal and breaking the contract and hiding all of the livestock that's supposed to be Jacob's away. So he became mean and obstructive. Then the Lord said to Jacob in verse three, 
It's been 20 years since the Lord had first revealed himself to Yaakov. Now speaks to him and tells him, the Lord speaks to him once again 20 years later. Return to the land of your fathers. Go back to Haran and head back to Canaan, the land of his both his grandfather Abraham and his father Yitzchak, and to your relatives, who is also the family of promise. And he says, and I will be with you. So he's saying, I will make a way for you to reach Haran, 450 miles away, safely. Remember how I kept your forefathers safe. Be faithful, Jacob, not faithless. So now Jacob will have a private meeting in the pasture with his wives concerning his new plan. So verse 4 says, So Yaakov sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field and said to them, I see your father's attitude that is not friendly toward me as was formerly, but the God of my father has been with me. He's saying it's obvious that your dad is very disgruntled with me because he knows that I'm going to take my inheritance. And another thing that is obvious in verse 6, it says, you know that I have served your father with all my strength. He said it is obvious how I have worked diligently so all could see his devotion to performing his work at a high level of efficiency. I mean, he was a great shepherd. I mean, everybody think that only King David was a great shepherd. But Jacob, he was a great shepherd. And he knew all these secret moves too. So verse 7 goes on to say, Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not allow him to hurt me. So when we went to chapter 30, it seems like only one time Jacob had deceived, um, I mean, David had deceived Jacob. But right now it says 10 times, 10 times he had um, been deceived. So he's telling his wife now, this is what happened. So if your dad said, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock brought forth speckled. And if he spoke, the stripe shall be your wages, then all the strength was born. Amazing. Your dad keep changing the law. He kept changing his mind to what color of the flock was to be mine. But whatever he changed it to, that's what the flock came up. That's all the exact color that came up that were to be mine. Any of you ever played Uno? You know, it's blue. If you get the wild card, you can change them to any color, right? Same thing. David had the wild card, yeah? Oh, speckled. I came on speckled. Ah, striped. I came on striped. It's just like that. So what are the odds of someone rolling a dice, a one die, just one die, and calling out the correct number 10 times in a row. What is the odds? The probabilities are low. 10 times in a row. You saw anybody ever want to jump at a pool 10 times in a row? <laughs> I mean, if you use dynamite or Superman, they might be 10 in a row. But if somebody uses dynamite, that is dynamite. Maybe. So verse 9 goes on and says, so this is a sheep. It says, I just, 
was this funny? I was looking for a picture of a sheep, and I saw this little article in the Times of Israel. It says, Biblical sheep in Israel for the first time in millennium. They're back in the land. These spotted ring uh, animals, they're back in the land. So this was in 2016. So in 2016, Jacob's land came back into the land of Israel. Go to the next one. So they started there. Number one would be Gilead. And he went down through Haran, crossed uh, Bathsheba, Tripoli, all of it, and he went all the way down. Where is it? Nova Scotia. In Canada. So from Canada, he came back to number one. In a thousand years, the lands migrated through Portugal, Spain, London, and across to Canada. So these are not Canadians, but they're Jewish. These Jewish people that live in Canada now had these father men and they brought some back to the land. So it's just incredible. I, didn't, I never seen how the man looks or whatever. But you know one thing, so people say, like atheists say, oh, so you guys use superstition and things? There's a science behind this. When you take out all of the spot, spotted, speckled, and brown, all the white and the black, their recessive gene comes forward. And when they mate, it'll all come out speckled. <laughs> so science backs this up. Atheist says it just happened. But even science backs it up with this recessive gene. When you remove all the ones that have the spots, It'll just make the ones with spots speckled or brown. So it was an amazing thing to find out. But I wasn't looking for that. And I stumbled upon it. You know, like, I was farting around in the dark. Like, hey, what? <laughs> a recessive gene will only make spotted and speckled. So verse 9, it says, Thus God has taken away your father's livestock and given them to me. So what does that mean? All this is based upon the Abrahamic covenant. You guys remember the Abrahamic covenant? In Genesis 12, 3, the covenant reads, I will bless them that bless you, curse them that curseth you, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What is he saying? You see how Laban wanted to take the livestock that was rightly Jacob's. So he cursed Jacob by taking away his livestock. Now if you bless Israel, okay, okay. It was the Bilbrum before this? No. So if you bless Israel, the Lord will bless you the exact way that you have been blessed. If you curse Israel, you will be cursed in the exact way that you curse Israel. So that his uncle takes away the, the, all the livestock that's supposed to be his. God curses him and takes away all the livestock from Laban and gives it to Jacob. It's a curse for curse in kind. But it's also a blessing for blessing. So go back to the other one. 
world. So here is Petah Tikvah. This is a place in Israel. Remember President Trump? He moved the embassy from Tel Aviv to Yerushalayim. So Tel Aviv is a very secular and worldly city. And he moved it down south to Jerusalem. But in this place, Petatikva, they named this square after Trump. Petatikva in Hebrew means the opening of hope or a glimmer of hope. That's what this place is to the Jews. Because how Trump has blessed Israel, they have blessed Trump with this place. Now this place is almost right where Tel Aviv is, a couple miles away, maybe six miles. So what the Lord removed, he also put back a memory stone. You know how we gather the stones of remembrance? They put this here. The, the Jews think they put this here for themselves, but actually this is also the Abrahamic covenant in its all its glory. Can you go to the next one? Not only that, see this place? This place is in the Golan Heights. Now this place is in a hot spot between um, the UN, the, the United Nations area, and the Golan Heights. They named this whole settlement after Trump. It's called Ramat Trump. Trump Heights. All of this area is to Trump. So look at the next one. So up there in the Golan Heights, that not really Israeli zone, but Israeli occupied, but it's sort of run by the UN. That's Kunetra. That's where Trump Heights is. Now you see on the bottom, you see Tel Aviv, and then the blue spot is Petatikva. You see how the Lord removed uh, from Tel Aviv the embassy? But he put close by a memory stone because of the Abrahamic covenant. Curse for cursing kind, blessing for blessing in kind. So Laban tried to curse Jacob by manipulating the color of the livestock. But because of the covenant, the Lord covered him. Yehovah cursed him. And all the livestock was born exactly what Laban called out. So he called out his own curse. Speckled, you know, brown or whatever. So it was given to Jacob which actually Jacob had blessed his uncle. And just as Trump blesses Israel by moving the embassy to the actual capital of Israel, which was in David's day even now, he's the only president that did that. But he blesses Trump with these remembering stones in Kilkam, in Tel Aviv, for this glimmer of verse 10. And it came about when the flock remained, so now the flocks are meeting. This is the time we would go and, you know, make the, cut down the sticks from the nut trees, um, let all the sap come out, make it strike, and it would increase the number of flocks that would be giving birth. 
But right at this point, while they're remaining, when he's supposed to make that, he says that I lifted up my eyes and I saw in a dream. So he is awake. Okay? His eyes are open and lifted up. It's daytime. So this is an actual daydream, not our kind of daydream, but we just with a vision from Yehovah. So it says, that he did. He says, and behold, the male goats which were mating. You know what's the word for mating in Hebrew? Allah. <laughs> now we know. Maybe I know we would see dogs maybe, right? Oh, they get stuck, yeah? And then everybody go, Allah. So you know Allah. So they, yeah? So the word meaning is when you leap on top, when you leap on top, mount, and they all came out, matted, modeled, speckled, and striped. So again, that recessive gene was the actual thing that worked, but what really was, we'll see. So in verse 11 says, then Malach HaElohim, or the angel of God, or Angel El Angel, De Dios, the angel of God, which is God himself in visible form, said to me in a dream, remember, Malach HaElohim is the pre-incarnate Yeshua, Jesus the Christ. Now this is the third time that Yehovah reveals himself to Yaakov. So Jacob said, here I am, in verse 12 says, he said, lift up your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I, the Lord, now this Lord is speaking, for I have seen all that Laban has done and been doing to you. He's saying, I've seen how you kept your word, you lived righteously before men, and how Laban acted dishonest, your uncle. And has placed upon the cursing aspect of the Abrahamic covenant. So Laban was blessed when he was in right relationship with Jacob. But Laban was then cursed when he had a cheating, deceptive relationship with Jacob. So verse 13, it says, I am the God of Bethel. This is still the Balatha Elohim speaking. It is God himself speaking. And he reminds Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, the place you anointed a pillar where you made a vow to me. Anybody remember that vow? Good. Go to the next one. This is the vow. I want you guys to remember what the vow is. It was found in Genesis 28, verses 20 to 22. It says, Then Jacob made a vow before he came up to Haran, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me safe on this journey that I take, and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house. So this is all the stipulations. If God is with me, he keeps me, he gives me food and he gives me clothes and he brings me back home safely. Then what? What does it say? Then 
the Lord will be my God. Like, wow, I thought he was your God already. You know me. You guys grew up in that. So verse 22 says, This stone which I have set upon as a pillar in 22 will be God's house. And all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. So he's saying, fulfill your vow, because I have always fulfilled mine. Go back home, proclaim me as your God. And then verse 22 says, will be God's house. So this is Genesis 31, 13. I am the God of Bethel. Which means the God of the house of God. And then he says, 22 shall be God's house. In Hebrew, Beit is house and El is God. The house of God. So no matter what language you do, it's still the house of God. Bethel. Israel is the house of God. And Jerusalem is always the capital. So verse 14. Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Before they had brothers, they had a portion. But now that they have brothers, the answer is no. On two counts, but now you have brothers who are the true inheritors. And second, there's not much to inherit anyway. Everything will be given to Jacob. But the real thing God is saying, I am your inheritance. So even with us as believers, we will gain things, but the Lord is our inheritance. And we are His inheritance. It's, un it's incredible how everything always uh, back and forth. Everything is in symmetry and in harmony. Verse 15, and we are we not reckoned by Him as foreigners. Are we not foreigners now? Yeah, you're foreigners. For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. So he's saying he deceived us. What he did was he took a bride price, which wasn't money, but was work for dowry, and he squanders it. What the bride price was, you would get the bride price, and the father would give a portion of that bride money to the daughter. So that she could have some money to begin her family. That's what they normally would do. That's what's their custom to get them started. But Laban did not give a portion. And he inevitably lost it all. But Jacob got it all. So Laban, what he does is he uses cultural norms and customs when it benefits him. Oh, you gotta marry my CPI daughter first, because she's the oldest, you gotta do that. But he disregards it when it benefits him. Yeah. I think some of us do that too, right? <laughs> Just say. So 16, surely all the wealth which God has taken away from our father belongs to us 
and our children. They totally get it now. They see the divine justice and they see that anyone connected to Jacob, Jacob is connected to the Abrahamic covenant, are blessed. So even us too now, we're connected to this covenant and we have an inheritance. Let's not forget that. We gotta act and walk as if we are the king's kids. So his dad again, their dad was blessed when they had good relations and cursed when they had bad relations. So they said, now it's ours. Alrighty then, they get it. The Abrahamic covenant and all is gone. He goes on to say, now then, do whatever God has said to you. Let us go home to your house. Take us, for we go willingly. And proclaim him, just like you, to be our God. Verse 17, Then Jacob arose and put his children and wives upon camels and drove away all his livestock and all his property. So he gained property too, not just livestock, so he traded. Some people call him a trader, and not a trader, 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 but a goods in trade that he purchased. And he gathered all this and acquired livestock, and he gathered everything in Padam Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Now nothing was stolen. Not even one animal was stolen. You remember the Exodus? Was anything stolen? Nothing was stolen. This is like his own mini Exodus. You look at it. He's leaving the confines or bondage of his uncle. Packs up his ohana, four wives, eleven sons and a daughter, and all his property, and journeys from the north of Israel, the north of Syria, and he goes all the way down south to Israel. The real Exodus went from down south in Egypt up, up to up to the land of Israel. So this is an Exodus from a type of cheating, right? Pharaoh cheating, Pharaoh deceived. So this is a set to help a set up and see how all of this will work again in deliverance. So now just like how the law, right? The law of God was given to a people that were already delivered, already saved. And we see these guys were saved, but he was not declaring the word of God. Verse 19, when Laban had gone to shear his flock, so Laban was not at home. But he said he had gone, so he walked somewhere and he went to the Baba shop. Then Rachel, he says, Rachel Vatignon stole a teraphim, the household idols that were her father's. Now why? Why would she take that? Maybe she was idolatrous. But the law of that day says whoever had these family gods in their possession had the right to claim the family wealth. You gotta see this because Raquel wanted to secure the family's wealth for Jacob according to their belief system. So if he had that, it was like having the deposit key. You can go back there with this, oh, this is my deposit key, I like withdraw all my stuff. I was reading this 
And I was like, wow, what a lame God. Yeah? He cannot talk, look and see. But God couldn't even cry for help. Help! Rekos! Rachel, don't steal me! He couldn't. He couldn't even evade thievery. Right? He got stolen. But really? What a lame God. And Jacob in verse 20. It also says, Vaidignav, which means, like a thief, he ran away. He stole away. Some texts say he deceived Laban, but really it's, he ran away from Uncle Laban by not telling him that he was leaving. So verse 21 says, So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the Euphrates River, and he set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. The Transjordan. This is the place to pass through before entering Canaan. So this is like almost on the border between Adam Aram or Haran and Israel. This is like middle ground. Verse 22 says, When it was told Laban on the third day, so three days later, Laban finds out that Jacob had fled. So Jacob had a three-day head start, which would be no head start at all if he's taking all these animals, right? one going that way. So it's not as fast as you think. It's kind of slow. And verse 23 says, Then he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him a distance of seven days. So he took Laban seven days. So Jacob went out three days. Get your stuff ready, your food together, and round up the troops, and they head out seven days' journey. And after the seven days, he overtook him in the hill country of Gilead. Verse 24, and God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream in the night. So him too. God reveals himself in the night. But it wasn't a blessing, it was a warning. And said to him, be careful that you do not speak to Jacob, either good or bad. So a second time, Adonai speaks to a pagan unbeliever in a dream so far. So he says, be careful. Don't be pissed off at him. Talk nicely to him. Be neutral. Don't be all crazy. Don't be fake nice. Be sober-minded to Jacob because he is my promised lineage. Verse 25, Laban caught up with Jacob. Jacob had already pitched his tent for the night in the hill country. And Laban with his kinsmen camped in the hill country of Gilead. So they're camped here. Uncle is camped here and they're pretty close. And I think they're like, hey, I think they have some sheep over there. Let's go check it out. So now what we're going to see is Laban, this deceiving guy, will play the victim. When all along, Jacob and his wives were the victims in this plot. So verse 26, then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done by deceiving me and carrying me, carrying away my daughters like captives of the sword? They were like his captives all the time. And he was pursuing them with the thoughts of cap capturing all of them with the sword. So his intent 
He's blaming now Jacob for his own intent. Sometimes we do that, right? We blame others for the things that we're wanting to do to them, but then he says, you cannot do it. You gotta blame the person. So Yehovah had already spoken to this unbeliever. So 27, why did you flee secretly and deceive me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with joy and with songs, with timbrel and lyre? You deprive me of what? Of our custom of throwing a going away feast. So you see how a custom when used to his benefit is like the biggest thing. But when it's not for his benefit, I forget that custom. I'm already big on giving you all of that. Again, he plays the custom card when it benefits sin. In verse 28, and did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now you have done foolishly. I mean, I wouldn't like to kiss my daughter and my uh, grandsons too. And that's what he wanted to do. He's saying, you really hurt me, bro. You really hurt me. But what he really hurt was uncle's pocketbook. <laughs> so he went there to try and grab all his stuff back. And when the Lord showed up, I said, oh, I guess that's not in the cars for me. So that's why he's saying now in verse 29, it is in my power to do you harm. You see my sword and everything, my doom, my brother, he can harm you right now. I was going to conquer you and take back my wealth with these sharp swords. But the God of your father is God. Not Laban's false God spoke to me last night saying, be careful. Speak either good or bad to Jacob. And now the God of Jacob is here. So all the previously um, stated reasons were fake reasons. He was just coming to grab all his stuff. Verse 30. Now you have indeed gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But that was the actual reason he left. That was one of them. Another one was he was cheated. And another reason, the Lord told him to leave. So he, was, he wanted to leave because he was living with a cheater, putting trust in. He was told to leave, and he's, and he's gone. And now he will accuse, he'll be accused, he said, Jacob, why did you steal my gods? My gods who have eyes but cannot see, mouth that cannot speak, ear that cannot hear, voices that cannot yell help, and no can evade being stolen. So after all what Jacob had told his uncle, it's like his uncle never hear anything he said. It was a disconnect. He didn't care what. Jacob had to say about God or whatever. He's just like, I wanted it all. I wanted everything back. No sense of the obvious. So what is more startling? That God actually spoke to Laban? Or that his many gods were stolen? You get the actual God speaking to you? Are you worried about these man-made idols? What is more startling? What is more impacting? What idols? You know what I mean? Sometimes 
Even as believers, yeah. we can hold on to idols in our lives. Oh, yeah. Yeah? The Lord is dead off his son. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not going to give it up. I'm not going to share. 31. Then Jacob replied to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Which is true. Which would have happened if Jehovah did not intervene at the proper time. See, God's timing is always perfect and impeccable. 32. The one with whom you find your gods. So Jacob is speaking. Laban was a polytheist, you see. So what he did was, all of his gods, he added the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to it. He had one more God. Hallelujah. So whoever finds, whoever has these gods, they're not going to live. So the death penalty was put out there for the guilty party. So in the presence of our kinsmen, point out what is yours among my belongings and take it for yourself. But Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So he's saying, you didn't put to everything you had. Nothing was yours. I told you, I wouldn't steal anything of yours. And then Laban, okay, let me roll up my sleeves and search. So now the search begins in verse 33. So Laban went into Jacob's tent into Leah's tent, he's going down and down, into the tent of the two maids, but he did not find them. Then he went out to Leah's tent, and then he entered Rachel's tent. So get out of his tents pitched. Verse 34, now Rachel had taken the household items, put them in the camel bag, and she sat on them. <laughs> so Fonzie never made that up, Sivan, was actually Rachel. Her life is now in danger. For Laban to find this would be her death. So David felt through the tent, looking at everything, throwing everything out. He didn't find it. <laughs> Rachel said to her father, Let not my Lord be angry with me, that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of a woman is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the house of idols. What happened here? She deceived her father yeah. using a custom of their culture. Yeah. That a woman having her menstrual period did not stand. And anyway, whatever she's sitting on is already unclean. Right? So whether she had it or not, she could have. But most likely she might have lied to save her life. A lie to save your life is a greater good, right? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else did that. Yeah. But she hit the, the spies, right? She may have lied, but if they were found, she would have lost her life. So Laban was cursed by a custom, just as Jacob was cursed by the custom of giving <laughs> the older wife, the older daughter, first. So they were all actually deceived by customs. His daughters were deceived by not giving the bride price, a dowry. And again, curse for curse, he cried. 36, when Jacob became angry and contended with Laban, so he's mad again. His nose is probably flaring and he's started breathing hard. What is my transgression? What is my sin? What did I do wrong? You look to everything. First, you accuse me. You look to everything. I have nothing of yours. 
that you have hotly pursued me with your sword, your shiny, sharp swords. Verse 37, though you have felt through all my goods what you found of all your household goods, so it is here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they too may be a judge between us two. So Laban, whatever you found that was stolen, put it here before us, between my men and your men, and we can judge whether I stole anything or not. Of course, the floor was empty. <laughs> Nothing. Jacob didn't steal anything. Verse 38. These 20 years I have been with you. Your youth, your female goats, never miscarried. Wow, that's pretty incredible. I mean, miscarriage animals is normal. Nor I have eaten the rams of your flock. It was a custom of those days. If you're hungry or your family needed food, you could kill off at least one of the rams for food. But he did not do it. He could do it, but he did it. Verse 39, That which was torn of beasts, I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. So normally, if an animal was ripped up by a lion or whatever, you, all you would have to do is pick up the remains, take it to your boss and oh, sorry, the lion or the bear or whatever. Yeah, you show the master and then there would be, okay, not for Jacob. Jacob assumed the whole responsibility and the liability. What a righteous man. And he goes on to say, You required it of my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. So if anybody stole a sheep or a lamb or anything, whether day or night, Jacob would be responsible. He would be required to replace it. So verse 40 says, This is how it was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost of by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. I was thinking about Monokale when I read that. Because in the daytime, they get a little warm. But at nighttime, it comes like 30 degrees. Now I could pull out there. Pretty sad. Yes. So only a rugged man could withstand all that a shepherd must endure. So Jacob was pretty tough himself, not just his brother Esau. Now he shares his diligence and loyalty to his uncle. Verse 41. These 20 years I have been in your house, I served you 14 years for your two daughters, even though I only had to work seven for one of them. But you deceived me, whatever. I worked an extra seven and six years for your flock. I worked those six years to gain a wage, the minimalist of wages. But you kept on changing my wages 10 times. If God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac, or the reverence of my father, had not been for me, surely now you would have been sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the toil of my hands, so he rendered judgment last night. So God will always judge righteously, right? We don't have to worry about God judging us unrighteously. So David, you can see his no character. And he acts like a little possess possessive 
Friday. Okay? Everything is mine, mine, mine. Verse 43. Then Laban replied to Jacob, The daughters are my daughters. The children are my children. And the flocks are my flocks. Wait a minute. In Maranoi, they had children. And all the flocks he gained by himself. So now, come, let us make a covenant, you and I. And let it be a witness between me. He said, everything is mine, you too. But he couldn't do anything about it. So the covenant is between two men who don't trust each other. <laughs> Anybody made a covenant like that? You walk away, right? Looking at each other. What this is, is they're going to make this heap of stones. And it will draw a geographical line that both men shall not cross. And they will draw also moral lines that Jacob should cross. So verse 45, we're almost to the end. Then Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones. So they took stones and made a heap. And they ate thereby. So anytime you made a covenant, it will be covered, uh, sealed with a meal. So Hebrew for heap is God. And whenever a covenant, again, is made, you eat in good faith. You're not going to poison each other. That's what, that's what it was. You go make me food, and I'm going to make you food, and we're going to share. Then you must die. <laughs> so Laban called it Jagar Sahadutha, but Jacob called it David. So Laban said, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. So in that uh, Aramean language, it's, it's the heap of the testimony. Therefore, it was named in Hebrew, David. Gal is a heap, and Eid is a witness, Eid. And then verse 49, so it had three names, Aramean name, a name that Jacob given, and also this name, uh, verse 49, named Mitzvah, the Watchtower. Not the Watchtower Society of the Jehovah Witness. <laughs> but it goes on to say, May Yehovah, the Lord, watch between you and me, when we are absent one from the other. Now some people use this as a mantra for blessing one another, family members, or couples to recite for safety that they can come back again. It's not that. This is a warning that men are not the judges of their actions, but God himself. Verse 15, if you mistreat my daughters, or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. Here is the moral line. Laban is saying, you cannot take any more wives. That's it. That's the moral line. Now the borderline is mitzvah. That's the line that I cannot cross to come over to your side, and you cannot cross to come over on my side. Now Laban is thinking somebody in Jacob's family has the idols. So if somebody crosses that line with the idols, the idols will be mute. It wouldn't have no meaning back in Haran. So verse 51, Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, behold the pillar which I have set between you and me, the heap is a witness, the pillar is a witness, that I will not pass by this heap, to you for harm, and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar 
to me for harm. So this is, but you cannot cross this line anymore. If you cross this line, it will be a war. 53, the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of your father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father, Jacob. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons, his daughters, and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned. Isn't that funny? That's what he wanted to do, right? Kiss his daughters and kiss his sons. But he never kissed Jacob. He's like, ah, I'm going to kiss you. <laughs> so what it is is, check your heart if animosity resides there. Because it is not becoming of any believer. And if, when we have animosity, we, ended up, we end up treating people terrible. Yeah? He didn't kiss Jacob. When they first met, oh, he kissed Jacob, he kissed, he kissed him a lot. But he did fulfill what he was deprived of. He kissed both his daughters and his sons. So Jacob's return to Canaan was based on three things. His personal desire to go home, the problem with Laban and his son, and the command of God. So God gave a plan for each of us individually. And when we hold into the planet, we don't let the things of this world grab us. And we just listen to his voice, because his voice does speak loud and clear. When we allow ourselves to hear. And when we hear his voice, let us also act upon it. So we can hear his voice whether we read his word, which is how today God is in the past, the Lord used to speak to us, to dreams, to prophets. But today he speaks to us to his son. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've given us a measure and a standard, which is your word. And we thank you that we can use it, Lord, as if you're speaking directly to us. And when we do read it, and we do study ourselves approved, your Holy Spirit can then work in our lives and change our minds and our hearts for your glory. So let us uh, remember that sometimes uh, our uh, flesh comes out and we can act unbecomingly of you. Let us be quick one to notice when we are in that um, waywardness. And turn us back as only a shepherd could. Keep us uh, strong in the flock. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.